Sunday. Every time people make up their mind to serve the Lord or take a step with the Lord, what happens? Paul says, every time I desire to do good, evil is where? Right there. It's right there. And every time you desire to do what's right and to follow through with the Lord, Satan's going to be right there to trouble you. And you've got to get in such a habit that you're so focused upon Jesus, you don't even see Satan trying to hinder. That you're just willing to follow him. Amen? So be praying for, for that. Also now, as we start into chapter 9 of Revelation, boy, those we're going to pick up with 5 and 6. So the first four is all about nature. God was afflicting nature. Now we begin to see God afflicting man. We've gone through the seals. Now we're in the trumpets. We're going from the trumpets to the bowl. Also remember, in the seventh seal is what? It's the seven trumpets. In the seven trumpets is the seven bowls. They're all interconnected. We also need to understand that as we started in the chapter 8, it talked about that silence in heaven. It was quiet in heaven because the angels recognized they're getting ready to witness something they have never seen before. They've never seen before. So the first four trumpets are upon nature, upon the world, upon earth, the sea, things in the sea. But then when you get the last three trumpets, it's upon man. And oftentimes we miss this. It's upon man to bring man to a place of repentance. The other thing we often miss when we talk about the book of Revelation. God's still in control. Satan hasn't taken over control. God is still in control. And we're going to see that in these trumpets here. That God is very much in control. The only time for you and I to become fearful is when God is not in control. Because if God is not in control, the God that we believe in, he's not God. (laughs) But the God in whom we believe in, if he's in control, I have nothing to fear. I have absolutely nothing to fear. And in these trumpets, we're going to see man. We're going to see man even at his worst. But we're also going to see the stubbornness of man in surrendering to God. And men are stubborn. Men are hard-hearted. Men don't want to surrender. And it comes to a place where God just has to break. Free will is one of these things God gave to us that we could choose to love him. Without free will, 
we would only be robots. But with free will, man has to consciously make a choice how far he will go in serving the Lord. How far he will go in trusting the Lord. With free will, you have to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. Or, Lord, I won't trust you with this. Lord, I'll trust you with my finances. Lord, I won't trust you with my finances. I'll trust you with my promotion. Or I won't trust you with my promotion. I'll trust you with my children. Or I won't trust you with my, with my children. That free will allows us to make that kind of a decision. And God will not invade that. Because he's given it to me. And we're going to see that in this area of the trumpets, the free will. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9. And it says, for the fifth angel sound his trumpet. The fifth angel sound his trumpet. Now, some will take that fifth angel also as being Satan. That fifth angel is now Satan there. That fifth angel, I believe and hold with, is an angel that blows the trumpet. Some commentaries will put it in that this is Satan, this fifth angel. No, it's not. The angels do all the announcing. Remember what trumpets do? They announce. Now understand, yes, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you're going to call him, the devil, yes, he is an angel. He was created as an angel. But this isn't him right here who blows the sound of the trumpet. Now he does follow. He does follow in the next line. And you need to understand that in the Bible, stars were also referred to Angels, but stars were also referred to as false gods. As false gods. As angels and as false gods. So when you read on with it, it says, And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And John says, I have seen this. I saw it. I saw this star fall from the sky to the earth. And the star is different than the one who sounds the trumpet. I want to keep that clear in mind as we move forward. And he says, I witnessed this, and I saw this star fall. Now, is God taking him backwards? Is God moving John future? Because Jesus even says that he saw Satan fall as lightning. The thing is, God is revealing everything to John. And at some point, Satan himself is completely kicked out of heaven and cannot go back up into heaven bringing accusations against the brethren. It comes to a point that God says to Satan, you won't enter in anymore. Now, remember where he was at with Job going to and fro? 
it comes to a point God said, Satan, you don't have that freedom any longer to go to and fro. And John may have seen the last time when Satan is in heaven. The star fallen to earth. And then what follows from that is all this havoc that's going to take place with man. Now understand something. Satan is going to afflict man because God allows it. But yet God also, we will see, puts limits on Satan. He puts limits on him. And we need to understand, oh, this is so crucial here. Satan and God is not equal power. It's not sharing power. God is all-powerful. Satan is beneath him. Now, that's not to say Satan doesn't have some power. Yes, if we really understand it, Satan's more powerful than you and I. Any angel is more powerful, strength-wise, than you and I. What makes you and I powerful is the authority that we have in Jesus Christ and using the Word of God that's able to defeat him. It's not myself that can defeat Satan. It is the living Word of God that defeats him. That defeats him. Now, the star is given the key to that in that verse 1. He comes back and he says, The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun, the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came. Locusts came. Now, if you want some references about stars and being the false god, I listed them there for you. But I'm going to move on ahead. We're not going to so much look at them, but you can go back later on in the day and look at them or during the devotional time or whatever, that stars referred back to false gods or angels. Now, the star had fallen. And when you go into Luke 10.18, let's go there. Luke 10, 18, then we're going to go over to Isaiah 14, 12. But let's pick up with Luke first, because we need to understand that, yes, the star has fallen. Satan has fallen. He says, boy, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That is Jesus speaking. I've seen Satan fall. Now go all the way back to Isaiah 14 and verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. Familiar passage. You're aware of it. But look what it says about Satan here. How you have fallen from heaven. Now look at the title that he's given. O morning what? Star. O morning star, how have you fallen from heaven? 
O morning star. So I put this star with Satan. That Satan is this star in Revelation that's being spoke about here. Now, some people will say, boy, he was given the key. It's okay. Because who's in control? Just because you have the key of somebody's house, does that make you the controller of the house? No. And Satan has the key for a moment. That's all. Just for a moment. Uh, let's get a good picture here. Let's go Revelations 1, verses 17 and 18. Then we're going to go to 20, because we're going to see that key being used again. But we've got to remember who's in control of the key. He says, when I saw him, in verse 17 in, Re- in Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Listen now. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys. Jesus says, I hold the keys to death and to Hades. So for a moment, he gives it to this fallen star to go unlock this abyss. Now, run over with me to Revelations 20. In verse 1 and 2. Understanding, he was given the key, not to lock himself up in, but to let loose. To let loose. To let loose more of his own cohorts to do what they're going to do. And it says in 20 in verse 1 it starts, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. Now this is a different angel. This is not, this is not Satan here. But yet he has the key to what? The abyss. Now either there's a whole bunch of keys floating around. Or the key that was given over in 8 also had to be returned. Or the one in authority is still in authority that he can let another one go and do what? Use the key. Stay with me in mind. Thoughtful. And he says, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hands a great chain this other angel. Now look who he seizes. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. Describes him in three ways. When you speak of that serpent, we know where he what? First showed up. Where at? Back there in Genesis, in the garden. The serpent. Then he calls him that devil, that father of lies, that father of deception. And then that name Satan. 
So he describes that. He takes hold of this one that is Satan. And remember it said he had the key and a chain. And he bounds Satan at this time for a thousand years. While the millennium period takes place. Where Christ reigns for a thousand years. And people cannot be hindered or bothered. Or as we often say, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil's locked up, chained up, out of the way. Now who makes you do it? Hey. But I want you to see who's still in control. Jesus Christ. He still is in control of the key. Now, what comes out of the abyss? And what instructions are given to those that come out of the abyss? What comes out? And what's the instructions? Now, there's a word that John used quite often, quite a bit in 8 and 9, and especially in 9 and throughout Revelation. The word like. Like. Like a horse. Like this. Like that. John is describing. One of the things, John can't really describe it. So he uses what vernacular he has of his day and tries to picture of his day and then share it with us. He picks out from his own vocabulary horses and different things and trying to describe it. But this is what I want you to catch before we go any further with this. Even as he tries to describe this, understand this point. Demons always disguise themselves. Do you like it says of Satan? He comes as an angel of what? Yeah. Demons always put on something else to hide the reality of what's attacking you. Have you ever said this of a best friend? I never thought they would do that to me. The thing is to look on beyond the best friend. See who's standing in the shadows. When, when things happen to us that are not God-ordained in a sense, you need to understand there's a demonic force behind it. It's a demonic force that oftentimes will teach or force people to do the wrong thing because oftentimes as human beings we say they've grown enough to know better. Well, they may be grown enough to know better but they don't do better because there's a reason behind why they don't do better. You following me? So John is describing These demons, to the best 
of his ability. So he describes them at first coming up out of there as locusts. Locusts that are like scorpions, got the power of scorpions. So when you come back down through that and you begin to read it, it says, When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace, the sun, the sky, and the darkness by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. They were not given power to kill. Understand that one. They were not given power to kill, but only to torture them for five months. See God in control? You can only do this for five months. You can't kill. You can only torture. You can only cause pain for five months. See God in control? God is limiting what they're able to do. They can't just choose to do what they want to do. And he says they're locusts, but somehow they have the ability to bring pain like a scorpion. They can bring pain into your life. And these demonic creatures are going to bring pain into the lives of people. It's going to hurt them. And when we get to verse 20, we'll see the hurt. We'll see the pain. In 21, we'll notice it and, and, and we'll recognize it. We have grown so accustomed to people shooting each other, we don't understand the ratifications of the pain that takes place when a death takes place in a family because somebody has been murdered. It touches a mother. When my brother at 39 was shot 11 times in the back, my mother cried for months, months, in on months. But his five kids never got over it. Never got over it. And it was painful. It was hurtful. And it hurt 13 other kids, siblings. We don't understand sometimes. The hurt and the pain that comes with one sin. With one sin. And we will hear in Scripture the sins of the father or mother are passed down the third, fourth generation. They, and what it's talking about, not so much the kids are doing the same thing, but the effects of that sin lingers that long. Unless there is healing that is found. You ever hear a drunk person say, I don't want to be like my father and wind up being what? You ever hear a young man say, I'll never hit my wife because I saw my dad beat up on my mother and do what? Because that's all we know up here. That's all we know up here. And what we don't is look behind to see what is causing the problem. 
If you ever work or visit a psychiatric ward, you will find the number one enemy is the problem that people have with demons and Satan. And when you start talking about Jesus and you start lining up life about Jesus, because see, Jesus can renew the mind. I don't care what's happened to the mind. Jesus can renew it. And we've seen it happen. When you begin to obey God, something happens up here. When you really begin to live for God, something happens up here. And the whole process boils down, boy, I may not get it all right at once, but I'm on the way. And he goes on and he simply says, boy, you can harm all those who don't have the mark of God upon them. Now, now we're coming to two seals. We have... 666, which is a seal on the forehead. Now we have another mark. But this mark is a mark from God. This mark is a mark from God. And they were instructed, yes, they can inflict pain. They can do this and they can do that. But yet they're limited on what? They can do. Their power is to bring torture into the lives of people or pain into the lives of people. And they can do it only for five months. Their instruction was not to harm the grass trees of the people who had God's seal on their forehead. Now, that seal most likely was not a seal like the three sixes, where you could see visibly. But let me share something with you. If God knows you're his child, who else knows it? Who else knows it? See, all the angels besides God know you belong to him. Remember that little thing called guardian angels? Why would angels be watching over you if you're not belonging to God? Why would God assign an angel to you? And why would God have angels bringing messages to you? How many of you heard the news I didn't get it all where this man, where his life was threatened, but he said it was an angel that saved him because the moment he got out of danger, the person wasn't around no more and they put it on the news. Nobody could understand it. Anybody else see that? And the man said, it was an angel. (laughs) It was an angel. Most of us will discount it. But scripture tells us that we need to be aware because sometimes we do entertain what? Mm -hmm. We do 
entertain angels unawarely. Now, the thing is here now, how do the angels know? Because they can see what we don't see. And, and I want to walk you through a couple of things here. For we can get it in our heads that the angels do really do recognize us. Because God does. Go with me first, Second Timothy 2.9. 2 Timothy 2.9. And it... Ah, uh, where'd I go with I got the wrong thing in there somehow. It's 2.19, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, he says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. What's an inscription? Somebody tell me, what's an inscription? Is an inscription something that's written? Yeah. It has to be written. It's an inscription. And it's an inscription on our lives that the spiritual world can read. And he says, boy, this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. But he says, boy, those with that inscription, they are whose? His. They are his. Go over to Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith that God's, what? Elect. You think God knows his elect? God knows the ones he's chosen. God knows the ones he has saved. God knows the ones he has called out. God knows them. And if God knows them, the angels know them. Go to Mark 13.22. We need to recognize that we are recognized not so much here on a heavenly plane... But boy, on an earthly plane, uh, on, on a heavenly plane, not so much on an earthly plane, but that we are a people who are being recognized by heaven. He says in 22, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the what? The elect. So when you see that word elect, you've got to ask yourself, who are the elect? The elect are those who know they are saved, who have been saved and washed in the blood of Christ. Those who have confessed Jesus Christ. Those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the elect of God and God knows them. We're known of God. We're known of His angels. We are His elect. We are His chosen ones. We are His called out ones. We are His saints. We are His sons. We are His daughters. We are His children. We are. 
And he says, boy, the elect. Now listen to what he says. Because I'm going to give you the reason for the little statement that follows it. He says, if that were possible, for the prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect. And then he says, if that were possible, if that were possible. Now what you and I have to understand is why is it impossible? Go to Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 1, because we have to understand, why is this impossible? God says we are the children of light and not the children of darkness. He tells us to be aware of the schemes of who? Of Satan. He tells us, don't give Satan even a foothold in our life. Now, we wouldn't be able to do that if we couldn't recognize some of Satan's actions. Now, he's a deceiver. And he's a smart one. And every now and then he may get one through. But it's not going to be something that he catches me in that I'm going to constantly be living in. Because at some point I recognize because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in me that this is against God. And the moment I recognize it's against God, it ceases. It stops in my life. See, I am a slow learner. I don't learn very quick. And I can be stubborn. And I can be hard-headed. But eventually the light goes on. You know. And sometimes it don't have to be a floodlight. Just a little light. And I know I'm wrong. And it stops right there. It stops right there. And in Ephesians... In verse 13 and 14, listen to what he is going to share with us. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of what? The word of truth. Now understand this. you got to put the word of truth in you for that you know what truth really is. For there will come a day when people will take a lie and believe a lie is truth and truth a lie. you got to be able to discern which one is really true. And he says, boy, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked. The moment you truly believed, God marked you. God marked you. I don't hear much talk anymore about a birthmark, but it used to say that every person born had an indescribable mark on their body somewhere that was specifically theirs. I got mine right on my knee. And it's called my birthmark. You know, if I wouldn't show off some of y'all, I would let y'all see. But I don't want to, you know, don't want to cause no excitement in here, you know. But, but, it, but it's right there. And he says, those who believe, they are marked. How many of you know you've been marked? Yeah. 
as I was sharing about baptism with the young lady up in my office, one of the ways in which you identify that you are saved and that you have died to this world is that when you come up out that water, your heart is beating to live for Christ. Just like Christ went into that tomb to die for us, we go into that water to die to the world. And just like he came out of that tomb to live for us, we come up out of that water to live for him. And the one of the ways we identify that, that we're living for him, and I explained it to her, you know, when you had a bunch of boyfriends in the world, or a bunch of girlfriends in the world, once you found that one you really love, what happens to all the rest of them? Say it again, Carol. They, they kind of quickly go on by, don't they? Hey? And you are able to identify in your own life. Because what is going by, what is passing by, what you're letting go of, that you're no longer in love with this world, but with Christ. And that you have died to what you once were. And now you're living for Christ. And, and the whole process with this thing is that, yes, we have to be a people who recognize we've been marked by God. We've been marked by God. And, and he, he makes that so clear. Marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's why Satan can't get it over on me. That's why it's impossible. Because of the Holy Spirit is within me that will only allow me just to go so far. And then even the truth that comes forth because he's dwelling in there. And he's bringing back to mind God's word that I can identify. This isn't of God. This isn't of God. And once I recognize it's not of God, I repent. And I turn from it. Because it's not of God. And I can recognize it. That's why he says it's impossible to deceive the elect. Those who have been marked by God. Those who have really been called by God. Now that don't mean I don't stumble sometime. But stumbling tells me, boy, you were trying to run too fast. Stumbling tells me you wasn't watching what you were really doing. But when I get up, I correct myself. I correct myself. Uh, And it reveals that God is able to preserve his own. God is able to keep his own. And God limits the enemy that is attacking. And five... Again, the limitation, the torture of people could only last for how long? Five months. God's in control. Instructed not to harm those who have that mark on their forehead. Now go to Ezekiel with me. I want you to pick this up. And if you never underlined this, underlined it. Because it may even be talking to us in this time in which we are living that we need to recognize what's going on. 
But the question is this. What we see, how does it affect us? What we're seeing today, does it really affect us? When you see a child that can't read, does that bother you? When you see a teenager who's only reading on a second or third grade level, does that bother you? When you find a child that is all wrapped up in anger and madness, does that bother you? When you find people cohabitating, does that bother you? When you find women and men, both, the thing about the woman, we're able to see it. The man, we don't see it so much. So we come very hard on the woman, recognize, not recognizing she didn't get that way by herself. She didn't have four or five kids I went by herself. But the thing is this, do we feel broken about it? Do we have any sense of wanting to take any kind of action towards it? You have a lot of, you have a lot of people say, oh, you want to get into the social gospel. Well, yeah, we should get in social gospel to a sense. Why? That's people dealing with people. That's touching people where they hurt. That's ministering to people and allowing the results to be left to God. We're just baiting and throwing our fish line out. If we catch anything, it would be the will of God. But at least we're baiting and we're out there trying to catch some fish. Ezekiel chapter 9 verses 4 and 6. He says, let me get there, get these eyes focused. I can find three here, it's four. And said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem. Now, go throughout the city of Jerusalem. Now, look what else he's saying. And put a mark on the forehead of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. He said, mark those people who see the wrong, who see the sin, and weep over it, are broken by it. Mark them. Mark them. Why? They have a heart after me. Remember Jesus when he looked from the hill out over Jerusalem? What did he do? He wept. He wept. He says, mark those. Go through the city. And those people you find crying and broken and weeping over the detestable things that are going on. Mark them. Mark them. And there are times that Yes, you and I need to understand that. Let's go a little further in verse 5. 
As I listened, he said to the other, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity. Kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men, maids, women, and children. Who is all capable of sinning? Every one of the ages that God has just mentioned. All of us can do detestable things. Young people do some detestable things. Middle-aged folks do some detestable things. Some old folks. Don't think everything in senior citizen home is quiet. And he says, Slaughter old men, young men, and maidens, women, and children. But do not touch anyone who has the what? The mark. The mark. What I want you to see is this. God can keep his people. And the angels knows who's been marked. The angels know. And who's ever doing the killing here, God says, boy, don't touch those who have been marked. But kill the children. If they don't have a mark, away with them. Women, if they don't have the mark, away with them. Men that don't have the mark, away with them. Them old folks, away with them when they don't have the mark. Because everything that has breath has the ability to sin and do detestable things before God. Now, there's that area that who's the leader? Let's go back real quick. Let me see if I can wrap up here in five, ten minutes. When you get into verse 11 in chapter 9, they had a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, Apollon, or Apollya. There's a leader that leads them who is Satan. And all these that are locusts, that afflict men, are demons who are Aligned with Satan. And we need to recognize Satan has a large army that follows him. And that's why in Ephesians it tells us that we're in a spiritual war battle. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual war. And we need to recognize that. And that's why God's given us armor to put on. You just don't go to war without some kind of protection. And God's given it to us. In Ephesians 6. And both of the names here mean one thing. One's in the Hebrew, one's in the Greek. Apollo, the Greek god, was nothing but a demon 
acting in the place of a God. But people were following Apollo. But it was a demon who had set everything up. And the names of both of them mean, in Hebrew or Greek, destruction. Destruction. And that's what Satan has come to do, to destroy. To destroy. Now, you may not want to believe it. He desires to destroy your life. And he'll start at a very young age. He'll mess you up at a very young age. He'll cause you to hate, be embittered, not able to love. He'll cause you to be a bully, constantly ready to fight. He can give you the foulest mouth at such a young age. He can start you looking at people in a different framework, with a different mind, at a very young age. You ever hear a child say to a mother or father, I hate you? Where did that come from? Where did that, where did those words come from? When all they've ever received is love. But they've been restrained from doing the wrong. But I hate you! That comes from somewhere else. In planets, yes. But we need to recognize it's coming from somewhere else. He comes to destroy. He'll destroy a family. He'll destroy a life. And Satan doesn't care who he destroys or whose life he messes up. He'll destroy it to keep God from getting the glory or the praise. Now, in 9.12, it says you got the first woe, now you're going to have to face the second two woes. But in that sixth angel sound, well, let me just stop there rather than try to get it all in this week. Okay? But are you catching the picture somewhat? But let me give you the foreshadow. And we'll pick it up next week. And I, it bears out scripturally here. And we'll pick it up a little bit. But I want to give you the foreshadow of it. Satan attacks people that people attack each other. Satan attacks people that people attack each other. Let me give you a heads up, then we'll come back to it and break it down more next week. Nor did they repent of their murders, of their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Well, who are you stealing from? Other people? <laughs> who are you leading an immoral life with? Other people. Who are you trying to do your voodoo on? Other people? See, Satan attacks us that we will attack other people. That's why God says, do good unto your what? Enemy. Do good unto your enemy. You don't attack them. You do good. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we pray, Father, that as we learn your word, that it would give us understanding to life. That as we learn your word, that we can sit down and talk with our children, our grandchildren, to our neighbors, to our neighbor's children, to our co-workers, and that we be a people to understand that when this stuff comes out, who's really in the shadows? Who's really behind it? It's the enemy. It is not so much the person, though they are being used. They're being influenced. But it's really coming from a demonic force. And Father, we pray that you give us this wisdom and you give us this understanding. In Psalm 73, when David was totally upset with how the evil and the wicked people were prospering in the land, it troubled him. And it said he almost slipped because of it. Because he was so envious of what they were enjoying, in a sense, in life. And sometimes, Lord, we see the evil man prospering. We see the wicked seem like they gain and and they're always happy and there is no loss in their life. And it causes us, Lord, to be envy of them. Not knowing we have no reason to be envy of them because of what we have in heaven. But David didn't understand that until he said, when I went into the house of the Lord, I gained understanding. May the people, as they come into your house, as they come and sit at your feet and learn, as we open up the word of God, may we gain understanding that we know how to live in this present time in which we are living. That we'll know how to give an answer to every man that asks of us. We'll know how to give godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. That we'll know how to counsel with the counsel of the Holy Spirit and not of our own opinion. Lord, as we come week after week, Give us understanding, I pray. And teach us that we might truly be the light of this world here in West Akron. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and never accepted Christ, we want to give you that opportunity because you're the only one who knows that you have the mark. If you have the seal of the Holy Spirit, if you have truly been saved, yes, Christianity is following some rules, but they're not really rules per se. They're the way of life. They're not denying me of anything. They're protecting me of that which will be destructive in my life. And I pray that if you never accepted Christ, 
You won't use the excuse, I'm not ready yet, because you'll never get yourself ready. 